And welcome into the Most Accurate Podcast. My name is Anthony Stalter, joined as always by John Paulson, 444.com. John, how'd you do this weekend in fantasy? Or how, you, the, how you looking, I should say. Well, yeah, it was, it was the rare, I believe, in my managed leagues, the ones where I actually have to scour the waiver wire and add people and drop people and set, set the lineup and all that. I think I would think it was the rare 4-0 week nice. this week. Yeah. Good. I thought you were going to go with the rare 0-4 week. But. Well, those are pretty rare as well. Um, I'm a little worried about rankings accuracy, though, because I was you know, two or three spots low on Mitch Trubisky. And, <laughs> well, uh, I think a lot of I, people were. Well, you know, the average was 20 or something, and I was at 23, so that might uh, really ding my accuracy this week. But, you know, the guy had six passing touchdowns, and that was more than he's had in the last nine games. <laughs> so, of course he's going to have six t- passing touchdowns. So good for him, basically. <laughs> uh, tell us about the music. We'll tell you about League Sync, and then we'll get into some music. Or, I'm sorry, get into some music. Get, in some, get, in, get into some injuries. It's later in the day while we're recording this podcast, so uh, please deal with my idiocy. Tell us about the music, and we'll move on. Yeah, this is a band called Illinois. They're from Pennsylvania, of course, because <laughs> you can't name your band you know, after the state that you grew up in. Uh, but it's off the 20, uh, 2007 What the Hell Do I Know uh, EP. It's, this track is called Nosebleed. It was actually featured in a um, episode of Weeds, if you remember that show. I think that was a Showtime show. Uh, uh, Showtime, Showtime or HBO, I can't remember. Yeah. You might be right. I, I think it's Showtime. I think it was short time, but I'm not 100% certain on that. Anyway, the, the track is called Nosebleed. I added it to our Most Accurate Podcast playlist, uh, which you can find a link to if you go to any of the uh, posts, podcast posts on the 444.com website. All right, very good. Before we dive into the latest news and injuries for Week 4, I want to tell you a little bit about the 444 League Sync app. It's available in the App Store. It works with ESPN, Yahoo, CBS, and My Fantasy League. If you aren't a 444 subscriber and you buy a pro subscription through the app, you'll also get full access to the 444 website. It's free for existing pro and DFS subscribers and classic subscribers can use the app to optimize their lineups at no cost if you haven't done this yet. It's a great tool. You'll, you can easily identify the players on your waiver wire that are projected to score the most points in any given week, so it saves a lot of time. You don't have to, you don't have to hunt through the waiver wire trying to find the best spot start. If you like to try out that functionality, you can get a free seven-day trial through the app. Again, it's a great tool. Let's go into the injuries. We'll start off with T.Y. Hilton, and we'll work our way through to some of the nastier injuries, including Tyler Eifert, if you saw that one. T.Y. Hilton strained a hamstring. He's going to be out two to four weeks. Tough low for the Colts. Talk to us about Ryan Grant and Chester Rogers. (laughs) Do do I have to? Uh, Break down Ryan Grant and Chester Rogers now. uh, Go. Okay, so... I'm just looking at their targets right now on the course of the year. Ryan Grant has 22 targets, 18 catches. That's a pretty good catch rate, 81.8%. Uh, 188 yards and a touchdown, averaging 10.4 yards per catch. Uh, Chester Rogers, 21 targets, so they're almost equal. Uh, 16 catches for 134 yards and no touchdowns. Uh, boy, if the Colts lose T.Y. Hilton um, for any length of time here, it looks like it's two to four weeks. Uh, it's going to be pretty ugly in the Indianapolis passing game. I guess, uh, you know, Ryan Grant is probably your best bet. Uh, and then Rodgers after that, if you're really desperate for, for snaps and targets, I think you'll get, you know, a decent uh, six to eight targets per player. Um, Andrew Luck 
kind of exploded for a pretty good fantasy game. Um, he's all the way up to 6.1 yards per attempt now uh, on the season, so that's uh, that's good. That's an improvement for him. He's getting there. Uh, he's, yeah, he's averaging 281 yards uh, passing now. I guess that 400 was it 400 something yards. That'll that'll do something for you for your your average uh, passing yardage. Um, it's just not a a good deal if you're if you're looking at Ryan Grant or Chester Rogers, but I think Grant it is it would be the one I would favor. Eric Ebron probably will keep his value even if Jack Doyle returns. But this is a sh- they're playing on Thursday, right? This is a short week. Yes. Um, so in uh, New England, no less. Yeah, in no less. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think Doyle will be back. It'll probably be Ryan Grant, Chester Rogers, and and uh, Eric Ebron as the top three pass catchers for the for the Colts. So it's a pretty sad state of affairs there for for Andrew Luck. So in our league, John, I decided yes. yesterday morning when I saw the reports on Leonard Fournette that I would play him over Corey Davis. Because mm. in our league, you can do a couple of running backs. You could do two mm-hmm. or three running backs, two or two or four wide receivers. So if that didn't make sense to you, Fournette obviously running back, Corey Davis a wide receiver, we have the option to play more wide receivers or more running backs in our leagues. So Corey Davis got over 30 points. Leonard Fournette, of course, got four. That was rough. He left the game early, strained hamstring, out three to four weeks. So this is now T.J. Yeldon's backfield again for maybe even a month. Yeah, and I would have, you know, I would have told you to start Fournette over Corey Davis. Sure. So that's just how it goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. It happens. <laughs> um, it does. It happens. Yeldon ended up with a touchdown reception. Uh, Corey Davis exploded after uh, the Tennessee passing game was looking pretty horrible. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about Taewon Taylor later. Uh, as far as Fournette is concerned, out three to four weeks, this is worrisome that he's got this injury and then he tried to come back and then injured it again. It's almost kind of the same thing that's going on with Marlon Mack uh, for the Colts. So it's it's worrisome. I would say that if you're hurting at running back, which a lot of people are at this point, uh, TJ Yeldon, if he's on the waiver wire, is probably going to be the starting running back there for three to three to four weeks, uh, maybe a month of, of Yeldon. Uh, and he's... Proven that when he is uh, the main uh, ball carrier, RB1 there in, in Jacksonville, that he could put up some pretty good fantasy points. He's not as good as Leonard Fournette where he's RB1 level, but uh, I would expect RB2-type numbers for Yeldon in the, in the short term. For those who watched the falcons Bengals game and you saw Tyler Eifert's injury, you know that the camera stuck with Tyler Eifert for way too long. It looked like I thought he suffered a concussion because he was kind of pounding his head. And then I looked down at his ankle, and it was sideways. His foot was sideways. It was gruesome. He broke his ankle. He's out for the year. Feel horrible for him. If you saw him going into the uh, tunnel, you could tell he was devastated. So, once again, an injury-prone uh, player is going to be out for the year in Tyler Eifert. It's sad, sad state of affairs because I felt like he was playing well. So, Tyler Croft and C.J. Uh, Uzuma, do you, do you like either guy in that, that offense, which has been pretty good for the Bengals? Yeah, how uh, how early in that game did Eifert get uh, injured? He only played twenty six percent of the snaps. So it must have been pretty early. I think it was. The, I think it was early in the third quarter. Might have been one. Might have been the first possession of the third quarter. Yeah, I think the immediate knee, knee jerk reaction that I've seen on Twitter is always okay. Add Tyler Croft because you know Croft had some good games with Eifert out last year, if yeah. I remember correctly. But it's Yuzuma that's been playing uh, more snaps. He's he according to Pro Football Focus he he's run three times as many routes as Tyler Croft this season. 
looking at the snap the snap app on 444.com which can you can find uh, under tools um, this is a good tool to kind of get the real deal on things so I'm looking at Eifert 26% of the snaps okay so Tyler Croft should should have had a big snap jump he played 31% in week one 45% in week two 32% in week three and 27% in week four with Eifert injured uh, it was Yuzuma who set a season high in snaps at 70%. And on the season, he's played 59%, while Croft has played 34%. So uh, I think that if you're going to add one of these two, I would add Yuzuma. I mean, this may backfire uh, on us, but as far as I can tell, Yuzuma is the tight end two there. He's uh, a pretty good athlete. He's got 4.67 speed. Uh, his speed score is real high. If you look at player profiler, um, six foot five, two hundred sixty-three pounds. His burst and agility aren't, aren't anything to write home about. But he's made some plays in the past, and if you're dying at tight end, he might not be a bad ad. There's uh, this is one of the most potent offenses right now in the league with the Bengals, and you know we know that Andy Dalton likes to throw to his tight end, so this is uh, would not be a bad ad. Speaking of tight ends, O.J. Howard suffered a sprained MCL yesterday, and according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, he's going to be out two to four weeks. Cameron Brait's there. I know some. I know. I, I know some people were high on Cameron Brait coming into the year. Uh, he certainly is capable. D- do you view him as a low end tight end one, or is he still a tight end two? Yeah, I tweeted out. I believe today that if with Jameis Winston back in the fold and OJ Howard sidelined, that I will have Brait uh, ranked in our top eight pretty much every week. Uh, so I think Howard's going to miss probably two to four weeks. You can count on Brait to. You know, you may not deliver every week, but you can start him with a pretty good chance at a touchdown and some decent yardage. Because if, if Howard's not there soaking up targets, then I think Brate's going to get him. We, we know that J- Jameis Winston likes to throw to Brate. All right, a couple more. Geronimo Allison, who was uh, who was one of your, I believe he was one of your sneaky starts. At least we talked about him on Friday with Randall Cobb being out. He suffered a concussion. He's week to week. Any ramifications here with Randall Cobb still dealing with a hamstring injury? Yeah, they said that Cobb wasn't close. Uh, to playing in week four, so that makes the situation kind of dire if Allison can't get cleared. Um, he took a tough hit, but I, I, I don't know. He's out with he's in concussion protocol, so we'll have to see how quickly he can make it through that. If Cobb's out again, then I like Allison again as like a low end wide receiver two, high end wide receiver three. I think I had him ranked twenty fifth or twenty sixth this week, and I think he ended up with six for eighty, um, and that was through three quarters. Uh, so he had he had a pretty good chance to go over hundred yards in that game. Uh, if he's out and Cobb is also out, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, and Jamon Moore are the next two up. Uh, Moore played a few snaps uh, yesterday against the Bills, so I think he's ahead of Equinemius St. Brown. Uh, so that's where we're at with that crew. I think it's a little dicey to count on uh, Moore or Valdez, Scantling, but you know if you're getting desperate at receiver or if you're looking for a cheap DFS play, uh, there's a lot of wor- you know worse places where you can invest your your money or your bidding bucks than the number two receiver uh, for the for the Packers. The only problem here is we just haven't seen them do much. Valdez Scantling had a really good uh, preseason game. I think it was his first preseason game where he went. I think he went over 100 yards, caught a touchdown. Uh, and uh, so you know, Rodgers has a little bit of familiarity with him now. And if if he's the number two guy, I think I would probably have him ranked in the 40s. Uh, more, I, I don't wouldn't trust to, to kind of rank him as a typical 
third receiver for the Packers just because we haven't seen much of him at all. All right, let's talk about Ezekiel Elliott, who we'll probably dive into more on Friday. But in case you, you had this feeling, John, I want to talk about it now. Uh, Jason Garrett revealed Monday that Ezekiel Elliott is playing through knee and ankle injuries. Would you add Rod Smith? I have added Rod Smith. Oh, there you actually. go. Right. Well, there you have it. Yeah, in my uh, uh, fantasy or FFPC fantasy football players championship, I guess that's what it stands for. Uh, it's a pretty deep league, and you kind of have to be ahead of the game, um, roll the dice a little bit, and guess to, you know to add some people here and there. Uh, we did add Rod Smith for a buck, um, just in case something happened to Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, when you have a, a handcuff or a player that could really ascend in value just sitting there in the waiver wire and you have a free roster spot, it's, it's always good to add them just in case uh, something happens to the RB1. It looks like he's going to play, according to uh, early reports, um, but that might even make him a little bit cheaper today if you're trying to add him in waivers or tomorrow if you're adding him in waivers you might be able to get him for cheap because everybody's assuming that Elliot will play and um, anytime you can grab a high upside guy like that uh, it's a good idea uh, Rod Smith is I would describe him as not a great athlete he has a 4.69 40 yard dash uh, his speed score is not great he has looked good at times and they seem very happy with him they liked him more than Alfred Morris, um, and Darren McFadden. Uh, so, you know, they see, you know, if they lose Elliott, that whole offense is, might tank, but at least you have a guy <laughs> who could, he's going to get 15 to 20 touches probably out of that backfield. And, uh, so I think he's a, he's another quality add if you're, especially if you're hurting at the running back position. All right, let's go with some fantasy football quick hitters. This could be anything from news to, uh, not injuries, but any, any highlight real players that, that made news on Sunday. We'll start off with Jameis Winston. So the Bucks have confirmed that Winston will be their starting quarterback when they come off by in week six. And as I can confirm as, from a, as a Falcon fan, not only has Winston absolutely shredded Atlanta in years past, he's also, he also gets them at, uh, at, at the most opportune time. Again, coming in week six. They won't play this week, but they will next week. Uh, it looks like Winston might be a great add at this, at this point. Yeah, and it sort of depends on your league and what your quarterback situation is, whether or not you can afford to add him as he heads into his bye week. Um, my preseason write-up on Winston went like this. In the 11 games that, uh, last year where Winston played 90% or more of the snaps, he averaged 307 yards, 1.7 touchdowns, and one interception for 18.9 fantasy points per game average. That would have been the fifth highest average last year. It was a little bit of a down year for a quarterback, but... Uh, you know, you can sort of expect low-end QB1 numbers from him if he's not too rusty or having any problems. Sound like he was busy uh, pretending to practice uh, while he was out. He had a group of 20-something players, and they were going through the whole Bucks practice routine, I guess, so that he could <laughs> keep himself sharp and everything. So he's stepping right in uh, as the starter now that Fitzmagic has come to a close. Uh, I like Winston. I liked Winston ahead of, you know, heading into the season because he was going at a, just a really steep discount due to the, uh, due to the, uh, suspension. Um, and most people are only drafting one quarterback these days, but, uh, now that he's back, uh, I think you can expect low end QB one, high end QB two numbers from him the rest of the way. If you're having problems at QB or you want to maybe do a former committee, I think he's a good guy to add. I mean, look at his receiving core with Deshaun Jackson and Mike Evans, 
uh, Chris Godwin and Cameron Bray, and then he'll get O.J. Howard back uh, eventually. That's a really – it's one of, the, one of the best receiving cores it looks like in the league as far as depth. They can handle an injury and, and still be pretty good. Like they're going to uh, handle this O.J. Howard injury I think pretty well. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's a, he's a nice add this week as well. Julian Edelman is eligible to return this week. Is he an instant wide receiver three when he is eligible? Uh, this is a little dicey, I think. Um, you've got some moving parts here with Josh Gordon kind of getting worked in. You Chris Hogan back. Um, I'm sorry, Chris Hogan's still there. You have uh, Rob Gronkowski. Uh, I think he's going to, in PPR formats, he'll certainly be ranked as a wide receiver three. Uh, in standard, he might be in the he might be in the forties because he's just less less of a touchdown threat than some of the other run, uh, receivers out there. So, uh, I think over the rest of the season, if he stays healthy, he's probably going to lead this team in targets or be second to Gronkowski, uh, and that's a pretty good value there uh, for where people were getting him uh, during the draft. But I don't think they were expecting Josh Gordon to be added to the team uh, midway through the season. Similar question here with Mark Ingram. He's eligible to return this week. Is he an RB2? And I would assume that Alvin Kamara, no matter who is his backfield mate, he's still an RB1, correct? Yeah, I still like uh, Kamara quite a bit. I don't think that they want to be using him quite as much as they have been. I mean, he's got 91 touches in four games. Um, That's an average of 22.8 per game. That's probably more than what they want to, to use him. Uh, so I think Igor will come back and he may not, uh, immediately pay dividends, but he should be easy, you know, should be by week two of his return. So week, um, six, he should be, uh, ready to go. Uh, when is their buy? Do you have, do you have that on hand? Uh, they have, let's see here. They have a week six buy. I'm sorry to put you on the spot like that. No, so week okay, five, no he's problem. got Washington week, week five, they have Washington. Um, we might see Ingram at three quarters of his typical workload, and then uh, week six coming out of that buy. Uh, week seven, they have Baltimore, Mich- uh, Minnesota, and the Rams. So uh, it's kind of a tough road to hoe there the first three weeks, and then after that, it should be much easier. But I, th- I would expect Ingram to be posting RB two fancy RB two numbers, uh, kind of assuming that that same role that he had uh, last season uh, alongside Kamara. And then finally, John Brown, who everybody saw went off last night. He caught he only caught three of seven targets, but he turned it into 116 yards and a touchdown in that Week Four victory over the Steelers. Is he still a wide receiver four kind of boomer bust dart throw, or is he more of a wide receiver three in your eyes? I actually had him ranked 21st this week, wow, um, nice. given a pretty good matchup against the Steelers. You know, he's three for 44 and a touchdown and four targets in week one, four for 92 and a touchdown, 10 targets in, in week two, five for 86 on nine targets in week three against the Broncos, and then three for 116 and a touchdown against the Steelers on seven targets. He's averaging seven to eight targets per game, 7.5, uh, 84 yards receiving. You know, he's got three touchdowns in four games. So, uh, you know, if you remember – Way back when, after his second season, he really was one of the best up-and-coming, most exciting up-and-coming receivers um, heading into his third season. Then he struggled with his sickle cell thing and you know injuries for the next two seasons. And that really took a lot of wind out of the sails, and the Cardinals just kind of gave up on him. But he's found a new home in Baltimore where they really need uh, playmakers, and he has surpassed uh, uh, Michael Crabtree in this area. And uh, he's become the number one receiver for the 
for the Ravens, and Joe Flacco's playing well. So, you know, I think I'll have him ranked as a wide receiver two, wide receiver three, somewhere in that 20 to uh, twenty to 30 range uh, pretty much every week if, as long as he has a pretty good matchup. You know, on a, on a, as an aside here, I thought the Ravens have done a really nice job upgrading the wide receiver position. I, they had, you know, first-round bust, and you had Brashad Perryman who didn't do anything, but they hit on John Brown, and Michael Crabtree was a really underrated signing, and that passing game uh, is certainly a lot more efficient than it, it has been. And with John Brown, you, you have more explosion there too. I, I think the Ravens are kind of flying under the radar, or at least – uh, maybe not anymore with their victory last night in the Steelers, but I, I think that team's pretty legit. All right, let's get to some RBBC situations. This is always interesting. I feel like we've got a ton of them. We'll start off with the 49ers. You have Matt Breida, 38 of 60 snaps. He played 63% against the Chargers. And then, of course, you had Alfred Morris, only rushed four times, 14 yards, didn't get in the end zone. Breida, 39 yards, caught all three of his targets for 32 receiving yards. Do you, do you have a feeling either way, Breida Morris, you think there's some separation? Well, Breida has been running the ball significantly better. He has 41 carries for 313 yards. Morris has 44 carries for 167 yards. So his production is about twice twice as much in the running game. And then he's a better receiver as well. Uh, C.J. Beathard likes to target the running back position. He he, uh, targeted them nine times on 37 throws. Uh, on Sunday last season, so that's 24%, which is not outrageously high, but last season in six games, um, Beathard targeted his running backs on 30% of his throws, uh, which is a pretty high number. I think Carlos Hyde averaged over five yard, uh, five carries, I'm sorry, four, five catches per game while Beathard was in, uh, in the starting lineup. So, uh, he's probably going to boost, uh, Brita's, um, receiving yardage as well. So I think he's the better runner right now and the better receiver. So I think he's kind of moving ahead of, uh, of Morris right now. So I'm really interested in your thoughts on this. Jordan Howard rushed 11 times for 25 yards. So if you had Howard in the lineup yesterday with the Bears scoring, what, 45 points against the Buccaneers, mm-hmm. and you looked at the line, if you only saw the score, you think, okay, Howard got into the end zone a couple of times. Nope, 25 yards, 11 times rushing. That's it. Tariq Cohen rushed 13 times, 53 yards. He also caught seven of eight targets for 121 yards and one touchdown. Do you think that the usage here is just a one-game aberration? Do you think we'll see this more? What what are your thoughts on the Bears? Well, I would say that it's a one-game aberration that had something to do with jumping out to a lead and not maybe not exposing Howard to any more hits than you need to expose him to but his efficiency on the season has not been very good it's 3.2 yards per carry for him while uh, Cohen has rushed for 5.1 so if the coaches are looking at that like well you know Howard's our RB1 but he's not really getting it done and Cohen can handle a few more carries maybe five more carries a game and we're going to get that additional yardage out of him uh, then then let's start him or not start him but let's you know, give him those extra touches. And he's obviously better in the passing game, even though Howard has been improved in that area. He's caught 10 of 12 targets this, this year, uh, 83% catch rate. That's much better for Howard. But Cohen's got more burst and all that, 12.1 uh, yards per reception for Cohen so far this season. So I think they're just trying to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. And if Howard's not running the ball well, you know, and it's not a, a game where they really need to grind the clock. I mean, yesterday, 
yesterday was kind of a blowout from the start, and they could kind of do what they wanted to do after that. Um, I wouldn't uh, panic on Howard, but I'm certainly a little more cautious now in, uh, when ranking him. I don't know if I'm going to be as confident to put him in the top ten anymore. All right, here's another mess to entangle for you. Cleveland, Carlos Hyde rushed 22 times, 82 yards and a touchdown, so he was effective. Duke Johnson rushed twice for 11 yards, caught four of six targets for 45 yards. Here's where the mess comes in. Rookie Nick Chubb rushed three times, turned that into 105 yards and two touchdowns. So thoughts on Chubb, Hyde, and Duke Johnson. Chubb has uh, 10 carries on the year for 146 yards. That's pretty good. I'm not a math major. That's like 14.6 <laughs> yards per carry. That's not bad at all. Uh, just looking at the workloads, though, it's 22 touches for Hyde, three for for Chubb. Um, if you're a Hyde owner, I don't. You're a little bit worried. Uh, maybe you're um, trying to acquire Chubb or picking him up if he's still on the waiver wire in a in a in a thinner league. Um, but he's getting all the, almost all the work. Maybe maybe Chubb's production will get him a few more carries but they even with what he was doing yesterday they still gave Hyde uh 22 rushing attempts so um they seem pretty set on him as the starter and I think he's going to need to falter uh before Chubb uh, really gets a chance to to carry the reins there Peyton Barber rushed seven times for 24 yards in that loss to the Bears yesterday Ronald Jones the rookie 10 carries for only 29 yards, but it was his regular season debut, so it's worth talking about. Clearly, they're not happy with Peyton Barber's production, nor should they be. Ronald Jones was selected this year out of USC in the second round, so maybe coming out of the bye, Jones will see more more carries. Wait and see approach on Jones, but is he worth rostering? Absolutely. I think he is. You know, the news came that he was going to be active, and I was looking at him versus Jaquiz Rogers in our projections, and uh, my gut told me that they were going to get Jones more touches, and he ended up with 11. Uh, Jaquiz Rogers got zero, and Peyton Barber had eight. Uh, so Jones has already out-touched Barber in his first game as a, a pro. Um, so I think they're looking at him. Barber has been pretty unimpressive through three weeks, and then this week, you know, 7 for 24, I guess, isn't terrible against the Bears. It wasn't like Jones lit it up 10 for 29 running the ball. But uh, it looks like they want to get their first-round pick involved. They've given Barber enough chances here to, to sort of secure this job. And uh, now they're trying to get, give it to Jones, and we'll see if they can get that running game going. Uh, we have <laughs> we have breaking news in the middle of a podcast, which is always kind of fun. So Le'Veon Bell, according to Jeremy Fowler, will report – to the Steelers during their week seven bye. So Le'Veon Bell is coming back, according to Jeremy Fowler of ESPN. This is a dramatic reversal of what we thought uh, was going to happen, which was that he was going to be out for, for a while longer. So Le'Veon Bell, any any listeners out there that uh, I'm sure that you'll hear the news well well after we or well before we get off this pod, John. But uh, again, Le'Veon Bell coming off coming off the uh, the active list there and or inactive list, and he's going to join the Steelers during the week seven seven bye. Yeah, this looked like it was going to be a protracted holdout, maybe ten weeks or longer. So this is good news for Bell owners that will get him back in week eight for the last half of their season if they're still in the playoff hunt at that point. That really puts them in a good position to uh, make a playoff run and uh, maybe do something in the. In the playoffs, um, you know, first he's going to have a week with the bye. So that first week back, you're always wondering what that usage is going to be. But they've 
they haven't really shown any hesitancy in feeding him the ball. So I think he'll probably come out uh, of the bye, you know, screaming with his uh, with a high workload. Uh, so his uh, value just shot up. You're still we're still only entering week five, so you have to wait. If you're holding on to Bell, you have to wait another. Uh, three weeks before you're going to be able to use them. But uh, certainly for Bell owners, this is good news. And certainly for anybody that took the chance on acquiring Bell from an owner that was panicking, certainly that, that looks like a, a good move too because certainly the, uh, the the Bell owners didn't get perfect value for, for him when they traded him. So interesting. So we'll, we'll talk about Le'Veon Bell in upcoming weeks as well. All right, let's get back in a couple other RBBCs. Dolphins, we don't have to spend much much time on this one, but but it is a, a committee here with Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore. Drake Drake rushed three times for three yards in that loss to the Patriots. He also added a 13-yard reception. Gore rushed 11 times for 41 yards in that same loss. It, the game got away from him early, so game script called for Adam Gase to start throwing the ball over the yard. But interesting nonetheless that Gore got more carries. Yeah, he, had, he played 51% of the snaps. Uh, Drake played 45% of the snaps, and you know Gore was getting the ball when he was in, whereas Drake wasn't. Uh, this is certainly concerning. I don't. There's no other way to to put it for Drake owners. It's getting four touches in a week, and there's really no injury to speak of. That's certainly worrisome. He's only got 11 touches in the last two weeks, so you know you don't want to run out and get Frank Gore, but you know 13 touches isn't bad. I mean, you just can't expect this to continue. Um, for Drake owners who picked him, picked him in the third round. You know, Adam Gase, or was it his OC, they was talking about how they wanted to feed him the ball, uh, how much they wanted to feed him the ball and, and the targets uh, for his touch uh, rate. Uh, this is a really frustrating situation. Um, Gore is probably available on the waiver wire. So if you want a guy who's going to get you 40, 60 yards on a 15 <laughs> touches, he's your guy. I sound really excited about it. And you're. 100% right about the breakdown there. Uh, Jay Ajayi rushed 15 times for 70 yards and also caught three or four targets for 11 yards. In that loss to the Titans, Wendell Smallwood was playing a lot because of Corey Clement and Darren Sproles both, both being sidelined. Rushed five times for 39 yards, also caught three of five targets for 15 yards. This has got to be the most banged-up backfield in the National Football League. Yeah, and I'm actually looking at the RBBC report, which is another tool you can find on the website. Uh 18 touches for Ajayi and uh, 8 for Smallwood, 0 for Josh Adams. I, I found that interesting that they didn't use Josh Adams at all. He, he had 6 touches last week. And then with uh, Ajayi back, uh, looks like all those touches pretty much went to him. So they, they did say before this back injury that they wanted to use Ajayi more as the uh, RB1 as opposed to just kind of a lead back in a committee. So this is, you know, 18 touches is pretty solid usage. He ended up with 81 yards, no touchdowns. But uh, he's getting some catches now. Um, he had three of his four receptions on the season yesterday, uh, so that's uh, that's good usage for for Jai owners who are looking for more work for him. All right, Packers running backs. You got Aaron Jones, thir- uh, eleven times he rushed, sixty-five yards and a touchdown for for the Packers, adding a seventeen-yard reception and that went over the Bills. Jamal Williams rushed eleven times as well, only twenty-seven yards for him, and then you got Ty Montgomery who was involved in the passing game. He caught two of three targets for 56 yards. They're using all three running backs. John, I know you paid attention to this one being a Packers fan, so what would you make of the usage? All right, I'm going to go a little, on a little bit of a diatribe here with this Packer backfield, if that's okay with you, Anthony. Absolutely. Um, go for it. <laughs> I, always, I always enjoy a good diatribe. Good diatribe. 
Uh, somebody on Twitter said to me, you were, you were pretty high on Jamal Williams the preseason. No, I wasn't. I was not high on Jamal Williams. I ranked him where I thought he would be playing because of what Mike McCarthy said about the backfield, how they have a committee, but they would like to get one guy. And then towards the end of the offseason in August, there's an article on ESPN about how it's becoming the Jamal Williams show and how you know he's the best all-around back that they have and, and all that. In the offseason, when you're doing the initial rankings and everything, it's very clear to see when you look on film that Aaron Jones is just the best runner that they have. They hand him the ball and he makes something happen. Um, he did it. He's done it in two games now that he's been back from uh, his suspension. Uh, he's got it was eleven for sixty-five in week four, um, and the week before that he had another. I mean, he had a touchdown and then he had a catch for seventeen yards uh, against the Bills as well. So he's just, he's making plays. The problem is he can't pass block. He's terrible at it. Jamal Williams is like the number two pass blocker uh, in the league according to Pro Football Focus. So when you have Aaron Rodgers back there and you want to protect him, you have him in the game. And if you want to run the ball, you have Jones in the game. And that becomes pretty, you know, predictable. So uh, Ty Montgomery is actually probably the best all-around running back in terms of pass catching, pass blocking, and running the ball. But he isn't, doesn't have as much burst as Jones either. So I think that they would be served right now based on what the way their offense is running and how things are going to do a Jones-Montgomery uh, committee where you have Aaron Jones doing most of the carries and getting most of the carries and Montgomery coming in on third downs and pass protecting or leaking out and uh, catching passes out of the out of the backfield and just have Williams be the backup. I mean, he's averaging for the second season uh, a low yards per carry. Uh, he can run through holes when they're giant and he can run straight, um, but it's, if there's no hole there, he can't make anything. He can't get uh, something out of nothing like Jones can. Jones can quickly stop on a dime, change direction, and burst through another hole that wasn't even supposed to be there. Uh, that's just how much better he is as a runner. Uh, question is, can he stay healthy? I don't know, but it's a good problem to have good running backs. But in the, in the fact of, as far as fantasy standpoint, I think Jones now has the most value. Uh, whether or not Mike McCarthy agrees, I don't know. Uh, a lot of it has to do with how well he's doing in pass protection and practice, whether or not he can get his snaps up to 50%, 60% of the snaps. Um, because... You know, right now he's part of a committee, and it's going to really de- determine the touchdowns are really going to determine whether or not he's going to give you a good fantasy day because he's not going to get enough uh, touches in order to uh, you know produce starter quality numbers on a weekly basis. All right, let's move on to the Patriots. We just have two more here. We'll do the Patriots and the Seahawks. The Patriots, you, you called this last Friday. You said this is going to be a true light, you know, uh, thunder and lightning situation. Actually, you called it a week ago when we were talking about Rex Burkhead, the injury. Sony Michelle rushed 25 times for 112 yards and a touchdown in that victory over the Dolphins. And then James White caught 8 of 10 targets for 68 yards, and he also scored. Plenty plenty of room in the backfield for both guys, John. Yeah, and I was I'm, I'm just in full full disclosure, interest of full disclosure. I was high on Rex Burkhead in the preseason, and that did not pan out at all because he can't. The guy can't stay healthy, uh, so that's frustrating. But anyway, we got a nice situation now as far as you know projections and rankings are concerned because you have a, a productive offense, or what's typically a productive offense. If you only have two running backs in that pro- uh, very productive offense, they're both going to be startable on a weekly basis. We're probably going to be able to determine which player is going to have the better week based on the quality of the rush defense that they're playing at any given time because if the, the Patriots are smart if they are playing the number one rush defense in the league uh, they are probably going to make it a James White game and he's gonna you know they're gonna maybe run Michelle 10 times and 
and get uh, James White a ton of touches uh, as a receiver. If it's a team that struggles against the run, they're going to run uh, Michelle down their throat. Uh, Michelle didn't have a single target, whereas White had 10 targets. He had eight catches for 68 yards, 16 touches total. I like James White in general. I think he's a really good running back, and I think in, you can start him most weeks, even if it's a, a good matchup for Michelle. I think you can still start White. He's just probably not going to have as much upside as if he does if they have a uh, matchup against a really good uh, rush defense. And I think Michelle is going to be a um, kind of a Garrett Blunt type where you know he is going to have some really big games when they are able to run the ball. But if he's not able, if they're not able to run the ball well, he might end up with like ten for forty and no touchdowns. Um, so he's going to might be get game schemed out of the out of his production. But I think on a typical week you can start him as well because he's always going to have an opportunity to score one or two touchdowns as a runner all right finally the Seahawks this just became an even bigger mess in Seattle so Chris Carson didn't play yesterday and of naturally Mike Davis rushed 21 times for 101 101 yards and two touchdowns Rashad Penny only rushed the ball nine times for 49 yards and on Monday Pete Carroll said yep Mike Davis has earned a right to be a part of that rotation moving forward. So now not only you have Chris Carson and Rashad Penny, but you've got Mike Davis too. What are your thoughts on this mess? I feel like we, we should all like send postcards to Chris Carson owners apologizing for their <laughs> situation because they probably thought that they were out, you know, out of the woods with that 32-carry game that he had um, last week. They thought, that okay, now he's finally won the job. And then he's like a late scratch because he was expected to play yesterday and didn't. And then this Mike Davis cat comes in and tears it up. So it's we're back to now a three-headed committee. I mean, I think Rashad Penny owners have to be completely lost, have completely lost their mind because they thought that yesterday was going to be their opportunity right. to start Penny, and then he gets uh, only gets nine touches. Uh, that's a pretty sad state of affairs there for Seattle. So I think we are going to see a three running back committee. You also have ProSize there as well. He's a good receiver. He didn't play a whole lot, though, yesterday. This is just devolving into a really ugly mess. Do you remember what I said at the start of the season? Do you remember that conversation? I kind of went on a small diatribe myself about Seattle's backfield. I don't remember. You said not, I, you said not to touch it, right? I said don't touch it. Just don't. Brian Schottenheimer's the OC. They got rid of Alex Collins, who I find to be very good. That Just don't, don't touch it. And I, I stand by that. Now, Mike Davis, if he goes on and has an excellent season, fine, roast me. But I, I wanted nothing to do with Seattle's backfield, and I feel feel pretty good by not touching it, John. Uh, all right, waiver wire watch for Week Five. Who do you got? Well, one player I want to mention. I tweeted about him last week. Um, I tried to pick him up in FFPC, but he got picked up in the second round of waivers. Uh, is Taewon Taylor? So with Richard Matthews out of the way, he left the team. Um, and then uh, Delani Walker obviously injured. Uh, there's just opportunity now in Tennessee. And I took some flack for this on Twitter. Why are you recommending a wide receiver for a team when the wide receiver one isn't even producing? <laughs> and my response was that the quarterback situation over the first few weeks of the season really couldn't not have been worse. Uh, they the passing game couldn't have gotten any worse and they have nowhere to go but up. And I think Marcus Mariota is a decent quality quarterback. I think he's better than what he showed this year and even last year. And uh, maybe they get things straightened out and uh, this passing game rises and you've got, maybe you got 230 to 250 yards a game and 
who are you splitting this up amongst? You've got Corey Davis, who's getting a ton of work. John o. Smith isn't even being targeted. Uh, so Taewon Taylor is the next guy. He's, his targets went from 13% in week one, 41% in week two, 52% in week three, and I think he was up over 60% um, yesterday, and then he caught the seven passes uh, as well. So uh, he's, he's rising. So if this, if this offense rises, I think Taylor will be one of the primary beneficiaries, him and, him and Davis. Uh, you can start Davis now on a regular basis, I think, Anthony, in your leagues. Uh, but Taylor's the guy that's available on the waiver wire in most leagues still, and I think he's a nice add. Uh, it depends a little bit on the, the depth. I think I, at last week I was saying he needs to be added in 18-plus uh, player leagues where you have a roster of 18-plus players. I think you can lower that to 16 now, uh, especially in PPR formats, because it looks like he's going to get quite a bit of work now with this offense on the rise. All right, good stuff. Uh, Monday Night Football tonight, you got the Chiefs and the Broncos, and they start in about an hour and a half or so, so uh, we won't get into this one too much. But um, i got a pick out for 444.com, and if you've got anything, John, just real quick on Chiefs-Broncos, just anything you're looking at tonight? Nah, by the time this is up, it's already the game's already <laughs> half right. over, so I'm not going to mention it. We'll talk about it on Friday maybe. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. All right, that's John Paulson, 444.com's uh, John Paulson. You can follow him at... John underscore uh, at John four 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 hundred. No, jeez. Every once in a while, I, sc- I screw up your <laughs> your uh, your Twitter handle, John, and I say it. I say it so much. It's it's absolutely uh. unbelievable. I, I I don't get it. At four 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 underscore John. That's where you can follow John. At four 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 underscore John. You can follow me as well at Anthony Stalter. We'll see you on Friday's edition of the Most Accurate Podcast. Oh, 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 o